Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed there, stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciple replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we might die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Mary said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been out with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Isn't that a cool story? I love it so much. Um, I'm not, like, I know nothing about psychology, so, like, bear with me in this a little bit. Um, But I've been thinking a little bit recently about the role of object permanence in our relationship with Jesus. So, you know, like, when you play peekaboo with a small child and they kind of get, oh, yeah, you're there, and then you can do it again, and like, oh, you're there. Um, because there's an element of, if they can't see you, you're not real kind of idea. And then as, um, as we develop, we're able to sort of see in our mind's eye what is not in front of us. And there's an aspect of this, which is why like, younger toddlers will panic when you leave the room, because they, kn- they can now see you in their mind's eye. They know that you exist, and they know that you're not there, and they don't get why. But with some... like secure attachment, hopefully, you get to a point where uh, you can actually be in two different spaces. You can drop a kid off at school or at um, daycare. Um, You can leave to go to work. And the kid knows both that you still exist, which is nice. They can see you in their mind's eye. They don't have to have you there to touch and poke to believe that you're real. And they believe that what was true of the relationship that you had with them when you were face-to-face is still true. So, you will come back at the end of the day. You will still love them. You, um, I'm not a parent, so I've, but I've got a goddaughter, and she can trust that about once a month, it's not that often, when I go around for dinner, what, it is still true. I am still her godmother. I still love her. I will still play with her. We will still hang out. And that she can trust this, this relationship to stay the same. And last week, I was thinking about this because last week Pete preached on what it means for Jesus to be real, that there was this woman who could like reach out and touch Jesus' cloak, and there was like a realness to that, or that we exist as the family, the body of Christ at church, and there's a realness to that. But like what happens when we close our Bibles, or what happens when we leave church? Is the very real presence of Jesus still real to us? Or, is what I've started calling in my own mind, is Jesus' object permanence like a reality for us throughout the week? And I've been mulling with this story um, for like quite a while, most of this year actually, um, because I'm someone who actually finds that really hard. I'm a very like kinesthetic, concrete, tangible person. 
if you're in front of me, I remember that you exist. And then as soon as like, I leave and I go hang out with someone else, I sometimes forget that you exist. So I get around this by having a list of friends on my phone. So that, and I read it pretty regularly, just to remind myself, these people exist, even though they're not in front of me. But I like this story because it gives this real humanity for who Jesus is, which helps me not just believe that he is real, but helps me believe that he is real even when I can't see and touch him. And there's like a relationship and friendship that we see in the person of Jesus in this story that I think um, puts, him, puts forward Jesus as this super trustworthy friend, this uh, person who loves deeply, this person who, who weeps and, and holds grief with people, as well as someone who brings resurrection life. And that helps me with Jesus' object permanence. Hopefully, it will help you too. So the story opens with a man called Lazarus, and he is sick. And his sisters, who are called Mary and Martha, um, you might know them also from the story in Luke, and they send word to Jesus, and they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, so when he heard this, he stayed two more days before going to Judea. And there are a few things I just want to like quickly draw your attention to at the start of this story. The first one seems like a bit obvious, but Jesus loves these people. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Nazareth, Lazarus. And they'd sort of gotten to know each other, right? They'd met. Um, they had come to love each other. And I think that John is using the word love here quite intentionally, because in a couple of um, chapters' time, there's that famous line where Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So for Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, for Jesus, love and friendship and sacrifice are kind of all just interwoven together. They kind of all, if you think of one, you think of the others. So that's the first thing. Second one is that Mary and Martha don't, I'd never picked this up before until this week, but Mary and Martha don't make a direct request for Jesus to come. They just tell him what the problem was. And I think this is because they are such good friends that Jesus just knows to come. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, a friend of mine was in ICU, and I'm much better friends with her twin. And the, her twin called me, it's a Tuesday afternoon, and she was just in tears. She'd been at home with a cold, she was beside herself, her sister was dying, and she wasn't yet able to go into the hospital. And she didn't have to ask me. I was just like, do you need me to come and sit with you? Like, yes. So I cancelled a meeting with Tom French and got in my car, drove to her house, and sat with her. I sat with her for a couple of days, it turns out. But, like, I learnt that from Jesus. Jesus is the one who left without being asked. But he doesn't leave straight away. And I've grappled with this because I don't know why. Like, why would he not want to go and be with his friends, these people that he loves, straight away? And we don't really find out in the story. Um, Jesus does, is convinced, though, that he will be glorified through it. And I've come, I think, to be convinced that the reason Jesus stays for two days is, like I said before, in John's gospel, love and friendship 
and sacrifice are all sort of, they all get bound up together. And when someone becomes friends with Jesus, they actually get caught up in his, in his gospel story, in his narrative. And in this sense, it's one of suffering and glory. And I'll pick that up a bit at the end, but what is true for Lazarus in this space, I think is true for us as well. When we become friends with Jesus, we get like drawn into the narrative arc of his suffering, but also of his glory. So Jesus arrives in Bethany, and Lazarus is dead. And in this next two section, this next section, the sort of two themes coming out are, well, what does it look like for Jesus to sit with us in our grief? But also, what does it look like for Jesus to bring resurrection life, even when it doesn't seem possible? So when Jesus sees Mary weeping, and their friends and family weeping, like all of the Jews that have come to hang out and to mourn, says he is deeply moved in his spirit. He is deeply sad and he is troubled. And it's when he sees the tomb that Lazarus has been laid in, he cries. Like God cries. So when we see Jesus in the Gospels, we see someone who is a real human. Like he feels all the feels. He goes on the emotional roller coaster just like us. Well, that made me dizzy. Oh, dear. Um, we're cool. Um, and he knows what it's like to be someone who um, feels grief, who loses a friend, who um, has a family member or a loved one who he has lost. He knows what it's like to grieve in community. But when we see Jesus, we're also seeing someone who is God. And we are seeing what God looks like, the Word made flesh. We are seeing, uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus is not just uh, God in a kind of general sense, but very specifically, he is a member of the Trinity who was there from the beginning. Through him and for him, all things were made. Like he was there right at the beginning. He is God. And yet here he is in Judea, like crying with his friends. So this is what God looks like. The God who weeps with the sadness of his people, the God who weeps with the sadness of his friends. Uh, there's been a few like particularly big things going on in the lives of some of my friends this year. Um, and there was a couple of months ago where I was like, I need to go for a day without crying. Like I just, one day, Lord, is all I need. But there was just a lot going on. And then to kind of, I've been doing some of this CMS discernment stuff. And there's been some grief associated with that. Um, and I was, I'd just left Taminka's house and I was driving to Berwick and to see another friend. And I had this moment of like heartbreak almost. It was just like this deep grief um, of all the things that I'd be leaving behind. And the, you know, the dreams that aren't reality yet, you know, those sorts of things. So I pulled over because no one should drive in this situation. And at least I shouldn't, with all the tears and the snot and the like, oh, like grief, like you feel it in your body. And I didn't really know that until a couple of months ago. Um, but I'm sitting in the car and I had a very... Thankfully, the Holy Spirit prompted me to remember that Jesus was in the car with me. And actually, in that moment, I imagined that he was sitting in the passenger seat um, and he put his arm around me. So there I was, sitting in the car, experiencing a whole build-up of grief that had been going on, and yet I was not alone. Because Jesus is described as, as the one who actually bears our sorrows, bears our griefs, and a little thing I want to highlight in this story is Jesus is all-knowing. He knows what's coming. 
But did you notice he's not smug? He's not like, mm, I'm just going to be like a little bit sad, but don't worry, guys. Like, I can do it with a bit of a twinkle in my eye. No, he's not like that. He feels the feels in the moment in a very real way. And he is feeling the grief, I think, of the immediate situation where Lazarus is dead and his family are so grieved about that. I think he is, he is grieving just like death in general, that people die. Um, I think he's grieving that bigger death of just like the world is a broken place. Like it, it needed fixing and here he is on the path to the cross. But I think part of Jesus' death, uh, grief, sorry, is that it, it helps us to see in this story something which I think is more broadly true in the Bible, that the tears of God, the tears of Jesus, are actually linked to resurrection life. Or if you want the visual for that, like where his tears land, hope lands too. Because Jesus, knew, he knew his Bible, he knew Isaiah um, 65 and 66, he knew that there was a vision of a new heavens and a new earth, God's whole new world, a world kind of like ours, but with its beauty and power enhanced and its pain and its ugliness and its grief abolished. And in this story, he's not just saying, yep, that, might, that is true, but he's saying, that is true of me. Where I come, where my tears fall, hope lands there too. And we may be, I'm definitely, tempted to believe that resurrection life comes in a whole range of different places. Um, medical care, education, stable finances, romantic relationships. But actually, Jesus says that he is the source of resurrection life. And so when we walk with life through Jesus, with Jesus, sorry, we walk with the one who brings life, who brings meaning, who brings stability, who brings intimacy. Like, one of my favorite interactions in this story is between Martha and Jesus, because her brother has just died, right? You could, her access, and because of the context they're living in, like, her access to community, her access to stability, her access to relationships, all of that has died with him. So you could forgive her for not having a whole heap of faith, like, in this particular moment. But Jesus engages with her, and his invitation is strong. In the absence of the things that seem very necessary for flourishing, can you say deep down in your bones that you believe Jesus is the resurrection, the life, even when darkness and death happens? Do you know for sure that you have eternal life with Jesus? And Martha's like, yep, I do. (laughs) And I wonder if, like, this is a question for us this morning. Like, Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. This question extends to us. Like, do we believe this? I hope you do. I do. I've wrestled with this for a while, but I really do. So, like, this morning, like, if you're a Christian, we can sit here and say, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the son of God who has come into the world. So Jesus goes to the tomb and there is no smell because Jesus' prayer showed that he knew this all along. He knew that resurrection and life would happen. He knew that where his tears fell, life would fall too. Lazarus comes out 
and he is alive. And I think one of the many, there's so much you can get out of this story, but one of the many things that I think John is hoping that we'll take away from this is that what is true of Mary and Martha and Lazarus is true of us. We too can be deeply known, um, deeply loved. We too can be friends with Jesus, a Jesus who will grieve with us um, in all of the rubbish bits, um, who will celebrate with us, and a Jesus who will bring resurrection life. So uh, maybe like you could put on Martha's shoes this morning, so to speak, and like uh, run off to meet Jesus. Tell him the problem. Ask him why he didn't come sooner, why he allowed that awful thing to happen, and then be prepared for a surprising resurrection life response. And I can't predict what that will be. It's by definition surprising, but I do know the shape that it will take. Jesus, where his tears fall, hope falls, and he will bring resurrection life. He will burst into your present time, into the mess and into the grief with the good news of himself, with hope, and I believe with new possibilities. Or you can put yourself in Mary's shoes and just come to Jesus' feet and weep. You actually don't have to be articulate when we pray. Or you can put yourself in Lazarus' shoes. Um, You may feel like you are beyond the possibility of resurrection life. Um, I was chatting with a, a woman a couple of weeks ago, and she was just really overwhelmed by the the grief and the brokenness and just the sin that was in her mind and in her body and in her life and all of these things. And I just gave her a hug because I was like, yes. I I acknowledge and I empathize with your sense of disempowerment to do anything about it. Jesus died for the most messed up thoughts we have and for the most unwanted desires, and I'm sure you have this too, but there are some parts of my life and some parts of my thought life in particular that I'm like, is that just too dark for God to come and bring resurrection life to? But like Lazarus was dead, like he was literally dead in a tomb, and Jesus was loving enough, strong enough, and powerful enough to bring a dead man back to life. And there is immense power that is available and Jesus offers even into the darkest parts of my thought life. You are probably, you know, we're all aware of the idea that to know about someone is different than to know them personally. And one of the things that comes out in this story um, is that Reading about Jesus is great, maybe even inspirational. You can listen to a sermon and like, maybe not this one, but another one and be like, yes, like let's do this. But there's something really significant about knowing Jesus personally, about living as an adopted son or an adopted daughter of God, of having union with Christ, knowing that nothing can separate us from him. And so the friendship that Jesus is offering Hey, guys, how are you going? No, you're fine. (laughs) And the friendship that Jesus is offering, it does draw on the deep familiarity that we get with Jesus from reading the Bible. So definitely do that, right? But it goes far beyond that. And being loved by God, as John says, is knowing that God is God and that Christ is in you and that you are in Christ. 
knowing Jesus and experiencing his love for us, for you in the present, is real and is very possible. So we can have a real and meaningful relationship with Jesus, someone who loves you, someone who loves us, someone who weeps with us, someone who brings resurrection life to us. Actually, the Bible uses this word with, just to kind of sum this up. It's like the with God life. You have died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You are co-heirs with Christ. You clothe yourselves with Christ. So be made alive with Christ as Christ lives in you. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we can have this relationship. Jesus really, uh, really died and you really died with him. Jesus really rose and you really rose with him and Jesus really lives in you and you really are in Christ. And when I was um, praying around this sermon the other day, I was thinking, I wonder if there are people in the room who a friendship with Jesus maybe is historically part of what's going on in your life, but just maybe isn't how you would describe what's going on at the moment. Um, maybe, I mean, we all have those friends that if you see each other two, every two years, it kind of feels like nothing's changed. But actually something kind of has changed. You have to fill each other in on what's happened over the last two years. Um, and I was just thinking, maybe there's, maybe there's some folks here this morning in the room um, who uh, this morning could be a time to kind of come to Jesus and say, actually, I don't just want to know about you. I want to go, either go back or begin for the first time that kind of best friendship aspect of the relationship that we can have. But I want to acknowledge that it's, it is weird, a bit kooky sometimes, to have this idea of having a friendship with someone that actually we can't see and poke. That woman that reached out and touched is not actually our physical reality. And if people have found this hard over centuries, it's not new for us, don't panic. Um, but there are, I think, a few things that we can do. Um, I, like I said at the start, I'm very concrete, tangible, touching kind of person. Um, and so I've actually brought some physical things into my relationship with Jesus that maybe this could work for you as well. So it's why I really appreciate um, when we do lay hands on each other, like that is someone else laying Jesus' hands kind of, you know, on your shoulder. It's why I often put my hands up when we sing. So I think meeting together in a physical space like this with each other is really important. It's also why I light a candle sometimes to remind myself that Jesus is the light of the world um, and his spirit is present with me. Um, I have like a holding cross that I use when I pray. It's not just like a Christian fidget toy, but I hold it and it reminds me that Jesus is real. I have something real in my house. And I actually have quite a lot of religious art up in my house, um, including this picture here. Um, so this is an icon a Coptic icon, it's the icon of Minas. And the one on the right is Jesus, and the one on the left is Minas. And it's called the friendship icon. Um, you can't really see because of, well, also, I don't speak, it's not in English, and you can't really see it. But it does say saviour around Jesus' head. And he's got his arm around Minas because they're friends. 
He is the rescuer, the one who will always keep us safe. And it's two people standing comfortably side by side. And it's a picture that reminds me that Jesus is my safe companion. And he is our safe companion through this life. And it's deeply why I need the body of Christ, why I need you guys, and I hope you guys know that you need each other. Because among other things, we are the vocal cords of God. That sort of doesn't sound a bit weird. So when you come to church, whether either explicitly or implicitly, I hope you are hearing God saying, I am with you. I have my arm around you. And I will never leave you. So maybe you need to hear God say that this morning. He says, I am with you. I love you. I see you. I will never leave you. In the calm, in the storm, I am with you. In the morning, in the evening, I am with you. When you're waking and when you're sleeping, when you're arriving, when you're leaving, I am with you. I'm going to ask the band to come and... um, They're going to sing a song over us to sort of not quite finish the service, but nearly. Um, And whilst they do, I'm wondering if you would consider like a spiritual practice for this week, school holidays, and something to kind of ponder. And it's just this. I think it will genuinely help with working through some of the object permanence problems that maybe you have too. And it's just this. It's just a call to mind God is with me here now. So you get up, you brush your teeth, like God is with me here now. Now I'm just talking you through my morning routine. You have breakfast. God is with me here now. Have a shower and get dressed. God is with me here now. Go to work. God is with me here now. On your lunch break, God is with me here now. With the kids, with family, sending messages to friends. Draw to mind. God is with me here and now.